I've been blessed so far. Let me hear you say amen. 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 I've been blessed. Um, I've been really blessed by the Sabbath school this morning. How many were blessed by the Sabbath school this morning? Let me hear you say amen. 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 Really a blessing. Um, uh, we've been blessed in this church with very gifted people. And it's just inspiring to actually sit in uh, and be blessed as a minister, you know, uh, to hear the Sabbath school. I invite you to turn me to our opening text in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in our Bible study this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And the sermon entitled this morning is The Forces Behind Babylon. The Forces Behind Babylon. We're still in Romans. We're actually in Romans chapter 12. But with this new series we're starting, um, it's entitled as we move to chapter 12, it's entitled in this series, The Mystery of Babylon Revealed, Why Our Churches Are Dying. The Mystery of Babylon Revealed, Why Our Churches Are Dying. This is the second sermon in this series. And the sermon is titled again right here, The Forces Behind Babylon. There in the Bible, there are two Babylons in the Bible covers the, almost the entire Bible. There's the Babylon of old and the new Babylon that exists today. But what appears to be two Babylons is really one and the very same Babylon repeating itself. For these two Babylons had the very same spirit and the very same principles which they're founded upon that are contrary to the government of God. And that's why this series, we're looking at the church structure and organization as contrary to the government of God. Now, the Babylon that is visible today is really the working out of the forces that are behind Babylon. And these hidden forces are really the spiritual and intellectual rulers of the darkness of this world. And this morning, God wants us to see the contrast between the darkness of Satan's government and the forces of good this morning. So this morning, as we discover the source and spring from which Babylon flows, may we all be open to seeing the dangers of Babylon that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray this morning. And this morning I'm going to ask something different. Would you please kneel with me this morning as we pray? Father, we do humbly pray for your angels here, that it was with their wings brush all evil spirits and presence out of this, out of this house, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may enter into our hearts, that we'll be open and able to hear, and the word may be simple this morning, that your people may understand is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What are we not to be conformed to? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <coughs> the Bible says, I, chapter 12, verse 2, sorry. The Bible says, and be not conformed to this, what? World. 
Be not conformed to this world. Could it be possible this morning that we have in certain areas conformed to this world? Could it be possible? A little bit possible? Could it be? Could it be also, also be possible that we have maybe adopted Babylonian principles also into God's church this morning? Could it be remotely possible this morning, beloved? I'm not even answering the question. I'm leaving for you to answer it. Turn to another text here. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. What is the very first word used to describe Babylon? The name of the series is The the Mystery of Babylon Revealed. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. What's the very first word to describe Babylon? Notice the Bible says, Upon her forehead was a name written, what does it say? Mystery. Babylon. The very, very first word used to describe Babylon is the word mystery. Now because God uses the word mystery to be- describe Babylon, it must be an indication from him that Babylon should be closely studied, especially for God's people in these last days. Do you not agree, beloved? Mystery. Especially in Revelation. We want to, and the, Bible, the, the word revelation means revealed, right? So in other words, God wants us to have the word mystery revealed. What does it mean that the mystery of Babylon? And so this whole series is the mystery of Babylon, the very foundation, the principles what Babylon is founded upon. And the question is, have we followed, not knowingly, the principles of Babylon, not only in the church, but even within my life and your life this morning? Now would you please, we're going to look at the original Babylon, which started in the city called Babel. So turn me to Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. What did the people of Babel want to do? So Babel is actually the beginning of Babylon. The principles of Babel was where Babylon found, was founded upon. So Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. What did the people of Babel want to do? Notice what the Bible says. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. So what did they build in Babel, according to the Bible? Now we always hear about the tower of Babel, don't we? Right? We always, but we rarely hear about the city of Babel, right? There's always a tower of Babel that's trying to make it up to heaven and everything. But according to the Bible, there's also a city of Babel also. Now, Babel was the first city that ever existed. Now, what's the foundational principle the city is based upon? Notice what it says here. Let's make a, build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a what? Name. Let us make ourselves a name. The foundational principle that Babel was founded upon was called pride. Pride. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And they were full of pride. Now besides Babel, later on it came on to the different nations and transferred into Assyria. And then the nation of Babylon came. Remember with Nebuchadnezzar? But how, what was also Babylon known also for? Now look at your papers here. 
your handouts here, the purple ones. This is from the Bible, so we can quickly go through this. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 29, the Bible says, Call together the archers against Babylon. And it goes on to say, For she, Babylon, has been what? Proud against the Lord. Arrogant. Prideful. So Babel's foundation was pride. The foundation for Babylon, look at the next verse. Jeremiah 50, verse 24 and 31. I have laid a snare for thee, O thou art also taken. O Babylon, behold, I am against thee, God is saying. O thou most what? Proud. The foundation of Babylon was pride. Pride had entered into Babylon. Now, the old Babylon. But what about the new Babylon of today? What is the Babylon of the end times known for? Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. Now the Babylon of today, this has been previous studies on evangelistic series, but Babylon of today is the papacy, the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church. What is the Babylon of the end times known for? Revelation 18 verse 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is what? Fallen is fallen. It says it twice. Now, what according to the Bible goes before something falls? Pride. So this Babylon in the last days, the end time Babylon is also known for pride. For pride goes before a fall. So it's fallen because of its pride. Twice, it's prideful. It's prideful. Now in that verse 7, look at verse 7, it says here, How much Babylon, she Babylon, has what? Glorified herself. Glorify herself was prideful. It goes back to Lucifer in heaven who wanted to be above God. Pride, again, the foundation of sin is pride of old Babylon. Pride is the foundation of new Babylon. And I want you also to look at your purple handouts and look at the Vatican also and what they say. I want you to notice the third quote that says here, Pope Leo XIII said himself, We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty Himself. Prideful. Pride of the old Babylon. Pride of the new Babylon. Now, first of all, the Seventh-day Adventist church is not Babylon. Amen? And anyone who calls the church Babylon is not sent by God. But even though this church is not Babylon, could it be possible this morning that we as Seventh-day Adventists have allowed Babylonian principles to enter into the church. Could that maybe be possible, beloved, this morning? In this world of, you know, human nature, sinful flesh and nature, a tendency away from God and selfishness, could it be remotely possible this morning is my question. More specifically, could we have allowed Babylonian principles of adopting the Babylonian principle of pride to enter into our beloved churches this morning, beloved. And churches we know is not this building, but churches is made out of me and you this morning, right? Amen? So when talking churches, I'm talking about me this morning, and I'm talking about you this morning. Now, I want to look at this quote right here. The next quote is the fourth one by... Um, Ellen White, lift him up. Notice what it says here. Just as long as you allow pride 
to dwell in your hearts so long you lack power in your work. Is that not true? For years, a wrong spirit has been cherished, a spirit of pride, a desire for, for preeminence. Was there pride in the church back then, beloved? In the Avenues, there was. Is there pride today, is my question. Extraordinary power from God must take hold of Seventh-day Adventist churches today, beloved. Amen? Amen? Do we not need a power of God this morning, beloved? Amen. My heart is burdened with sadness as I think of our condition of our church, our churches. Reconversion, not conversion, but reconversion. Yes, we were converted at one time, but reconversion must take place among the members that as God's witnesses, they may testify to the authoritative power of the truth that sanctifies the soul. Renewed, purified, sanctified, the church must be. Else, the wrath of God will fall upon them, Seventh-day Adventists, with much greater power than upon those who have never professed to be saints this morning. Amen? It's a pretty heavy quote, huh? You held accountable for what you know. Unless the Word of God transforms and changes the life, unless pride is taken out and, and moved without of the soul and taken out of the heart, beloved, we were held much more accountable than the sinner out there in a homosexual relationship this morning, beloved. Is it not true for us today that pride is swelling in the hearts of God's professed people? Do we not need the reconverting power of God once again in my life and your life, again in God's church? And beloved, the, the problem and danger of pride this morning is that the pride is that pride is contrary to the loving character of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. For while the earth was still full of arrogance and pride, Jesus still chose to humble himself and leave all the glories in heaven to come down where we are, to meet us where we are. Beloved, that is true humility, beloved, this morning. Amen? The whole teachings of pride and selfishness is completely contrary to the whole Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has no place in the gospel. It has no place in the Bible. It has no place in Christian's life, it has no place in God's church, beloved. Amen? Amen. Pride of position, of power, of authority within God's organization has absolutely no place in His church. Especially those who claim to be part of God's church. Let's look at the second principle. The first danger of Babylon was the pride of Babylon. The second one is, we're going to find here in Genesis, back to the Tower of Babel, the city of Babel, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. We're looking at three principles. We're looking at the second one here. Genesis 11, verse 4 was another reason that they wanted to build a tower in a city. The Bible says, And it said, Go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, pride. And this is the second thing. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. See, another reason why the tower and city of Babel was built was so that those in Babel wouldn't be scattered all over the earth. That's what the Bible says, right? In other words, the city of Babel was built 
for the purpose of gathering, on the purpose of centralization. Do you see that? It was, it was meant for the purpose of centralization, so they won't be scattered around the horde to gather all together for centralization. And the main purpose of centralization back then and for all civilization, the main purpose of centralization is always and has always been for domination and control. Domination and control. Whenever you have things centralized, the more centralized things are, the more controlling and dominating the top is on those on the bottom. Is that not true? So for domination. When God saw these people trying to centralize for domination, what did he do seeing this problem? Notice the Bible says. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. He's watching it. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their, what? Language. Why do you think want to confound their language? If I'm speaking Chinese and you're speaking Greek, can we understand each other? No. Can't understand each other. Confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord, what did the Lord do? Scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord, what is that word? Decentralize. Is that word? Scatter them. Decentralize them abroad upon the face of all the earth. See, the principle of God, and you look in the whole Bible, the principle of God has always been decentralization. We ought to even get out of the cities, right? Decentralization, there's no control over us in the last days. Dominion or power, domination over us in the last days. He scattered everyone abroad. Now, who was the first king that ever existed? Did anyone know? He's a very sharp student. Genesis, look at the chapter before. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. I heard it, Nimrod. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Okay, the Bible says, And Cush began Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. And that's my version. But Nimrod began to be, or was the first mighty one in the earth. In other words, Nimrod was the first king that ever existed. And it backs it up in verse 10. Look at verse 10. What nation was Nimrod the king of? Does anyone know? Very good. 10, it says, And the beginning of his, or Nimrod's kingdom, was what? Babel. So they had a city and tower they were building, and the first king of this city that they were building for centralization, for domination, was Nimrod, according to the Bible. The first king that ever existed. And the world entered a new phase. Before Nimrod, the authorities or rulers had rested upon the feeling of family, and the chief was the image of parental control. But Nimrod was a king of territory, not connected to any personal ties. A different phase was in, entered into. Now, how is Nimrod as a king? Now, we think of Nimrod as a good person. Look at verse 9, though. Let's see what the Bible says. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, the Bible says that he's a mighty hunter before the Lord. It's not saying that he was a good man. Instead, the Bible is saying that he was a hunter of men, a persecutor, for he pursued and compelled men 
to submit to his authority and to submit to his religion as unto God. Now look at your papers. I'm going to share another translation here so you understand. The original Hebrew was meaning it was, uh, he was a dictator. Look at the bottom of the page. Spiro's translation gives it, he was an overbearing tyrant in Jehovah's sight. The very word Nimrod also, if you look on the next page on the inside, Nimrod means, on the top left, means rebellion, supercilious contempt, the extremely impious rebel. So he was a tyrant in the sight of God. That's who Nimrod was this morning. Now, besides Babel, what kingdom also was, also had a tyrant and had dominion over all the nations? Babylon. Look at your next quote here. I have an Ezekiel. It says here on the top here, Ezekiel 30 on the inside left, the second quote. It says Babylon, and he and his people with him, it was called a terrible of the nations. Very dominating, controlling. The next one, in Jeremiah 50 verse 23. I'm sorry, the next one it says here, yeah, the hammer of the whole earth. Isaiah chapter 14, it says Babylon is the oppressor who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger. Just like Nimrod, it was a tyrant. Just like Nimrod, they were dominating, controlling. That was what Babylon was all about. The kingdom of Babylon was where world centralization and world domination was perfected. For it was by force and its power that it conquered the then world. For all the other kingdoms were allowed to govern freely, but only as they recognized the authority of Babylon. It can be truly said of Babylon that it was a dominating and oppressive dictatorship. What about the Babylon in the end times? Turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 and 6. Look what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 and 6. It says here about the Babylon of the end times. It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. In other words, this woman was sitting on top of a beast, so it had dominion over the beast. It controlled the beast. It had power over and authority over the beast. It was dominating. Look at verse also 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. In other words, the dark ages is full of stories of the Babylon killing many people in the name of God and using the nations to do its dirty work. It was very dominating and controlling, and that is what Babylon is known for. Today, the Church of Rome, with its pope and cardinals on their high thrones, had the same influence that the king of Babylon had with its sway and influence over the nations of the earth, even today. Is that not true? But beloved, this morning, could it also be possible that we as Seventh-day Adventists have also adopted the Babylonian principle of centralization and domination within our beloved Seventh-day Adventist church also.
Isn't it shocking that we are the second most organized church in the world, centralized church in the world, next to the Roman Catholic Church? I'm going to read you a quote here. It's on your papers here. The fifth quote. Testimonies, volume 8. God has not set any kingly power in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Why? To control the whole body, beloved. Amen? Or to control any branch of the work. God has not allowed Nimrod or Nebuchadnezzar or any popish power that one person is to control the work or all any work or any branch of the work. Why? Because whenever man gets in the way, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is hindered from doing his work, beloved, this morning. Amen? The Holy Spirit is not allowed to move freely. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. The Holy Spirit can only move in freedom. When we hinder each other from the Holy Spirit working, the Holy Spirit cannot work in God's church. And the greatest hindrance to God and His Holy Spirit is not God. It's me and you this morning, beloved. Amen? It's humanity. We hinder the Holy Spirit. Not the church building or the, the so much organization or so-called um, bylaws or whatever. That's wrong. But what it hinders is man hinders the Holy Spirit. We hinder the Holy Spirit. God wants to pour out His Spirit, but we hinder it through kingly power of control and domination. God has not set any kingly power in the Seventh-day Adventist Church to control the whole body or to control any branch of the work. He has not provided that the burden of leadership shall rest upon a few men. Responsibilities are distributed among a large number of competent men. We are not to hinder the Holy Spirit. And what we think is being more centralized and organized and more dominating is actually the very thing that actually hinders the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the more we feel, I'm talking human organization, and this human centralization and domination, great. That's perfect for worldly organizations and businesses. Do it that way. But for God's way in God's church, it's totally contrary and be not conformed to this world. Amen? Amen. You know, as I, I want to share a little story about this church. You know, as I walk around, as I walk on by here by myself sometimes, and I walk through that garden down there, you know, if the ground could speak, the walls could speak, and I pass by the buildings, and I think about how God actually moved in a mighty way. There's a few of us here that remember. You know, God has blessed this church, amen? And he's blessed us even today. I mean, I get emails and people let me know and they let you know all the way about, they come, visitors come here all the, from around the world and they all say this is the most loving church and blessed church, right? You hear that a lot. Very friendly, the best potlucks, right? We've got excellent cooks in this church. Praise God, amen? <laughs> Very good. And God is blessed tremendously. But you know, as I walk through and I look in the, and I pass by the classrooms and I go by, past the, un, underneath, if the walls could speak, and I remember when I was here about seven, eight years ago, and I remember, some of you remember, right, as we were reminiscing, walking through this reminiscing. It was packed with young people, and there was a school going on, and life, and not only the young people, but the members, every one of you were on fire right here. Remember that time it was the good old days, in a sense, on fire, and no one even had a clue how it was. And I, 
It's all quiet now, but if they could speak the wall and come alive, they would tell you how great God was moving and the Holy Spirit was being poured out in a mighty way. More than you can imagine. It was a joy. We had prayer meeting, we had Friday night Vespers, and not only the students, but a lot of members used to come down here and used to worship together. It was so full and so packed. It was beautiful. Wasn't it a beautiful time? Beautiful. And as I think about our condition now in this church, I, my heart is deeply saddened at where we're at today. Deeply saddened. Sometimes I wake up at night and think about it and talk to my wife about it and how things have changed. Deeply saddened. And I remember sometimes when God's moving right away, people may not understand what's going on. God's pouring out his spirit in a mighty way. And I'll never forget, I remember that time, I'm going to be open with you, but I remember, and I don't blame this person, and I'm totally forgiven, but the previous conference president came in and exercised exactly the kingly power that I saw and went in and completely tried to hinder and stop. And you remember those days, right? Try to stop the work and stop the school and get rid of me and many different things. And I think about all these things, and I, and I look at this as a good experience, actually, because actually the worst experiences in my life have been the greatest blessings to me in my life. When I hit my rock bottom was the very time I actually turned to Jesus. Praise God. I wouldn't even been a Christian, let alone a minister. So I look at it as a great blessing. I'm looking, what is that that God was trying to teach me through this whole experience? This dominating, this control, this force and authority. What is he trying to teach us through this um, previous administrator? And by the way, the, the current conference president is a godly man and very supportive. Amen? But yet the past, and we, before we can move on, I think we've got to address the past a little bit here this morning. We have to look at what, what happened. And this is the principle that God wants me to learn and what God wants you to learn this morning. And this is the principle. That you cannot use force in the government of God this morning. Amen? You cannot use control. You can't use authority. You can't use domination in God's church. You can use it in your workplace, yes. You can work, use it in a worldly organization, yes. They're being forced to do it. They're, being, they're, they're working for money. You're controlling that sense. Okay, go ahead. But in God's organization and structure, there can be no room for force and authority. Let me read you this quote right here from Desire of Ages on the bottom of the inside left page. It says here, But the God's character, the earth was dark through misapprehension of God. That a false concept of God's character of love, right? That, glo that the gloomy shadows might be lightened. That the world might be brought back to God. Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. You've got to break Satan's power, but how are we going to do it? This could not be done by what? Force. God's kingdom is not by force. And this is the problem. When we start looking at what was being done to us and looking at the negative things that were out there, and it's good to look at it in general broad principles, but to dwell upon it, to talk about it all the time, to bring it up always in the board meetings, it has an effect. Why? Because... In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, by beholding you become what? Change. And then we become bitter. And then we becoming controlling and dominating, even upon one another. And it killed us spiritually, I believe. That the gloomy shadows might be lightened. It goes on. This could not be done by force. Listen to this. The exercise of force 
is contrary to the principles of what? God's government. We're talking about structure and organization. It is important that we know that this church should not be founded upon force this morning. Amen? Amen. He desires only the service of what? Love. And love cannot be commanded. It cannot be worn by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened this morning. Amen? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? You're fighting with someone and you think you want to fight fire with fire, right? You want to overcome evil with evil. But the Bible says overcome evil with what? Good. How do you do? You want love in someone else in a relationship with you or even your marriage? What do you do? You need to awaken love by what? Loving that person first, beloved. Amen? By love is love awakening. You have someone who you work with that don't get along with you, that doesn't like you. Reveal to them the love of God that you cannot produce, but only God can produce. Amen? And love that you show to that person will awaken the love within that person toward you. And the love toward God awakens, that is shown to you, will awaken the love in you toward God. He initiates you respond. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love Him this morning. Amen? Don't you want to love God this morning? Beautiful Sabbath school. Heart's desire within every person's heart, the desire to love God this morning. To know God is to love Him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. See, Satan can use force, and he uses force, and he uses businesses and worldly organizations in the world to use force, and that's how they run the businesses. But what happened is we have allowed Babylonian principles or business principles in the world to seep into God's remnant church this morning, beloved. And now a church all of a sudden is transformed into a church business now. And when it's a humanly organized business, now there's hardly any room and elbow room for the Holy Spirit to work freely within the church. And our churches are dying. I come to the conclusion that and I praise God for all the things that happened in this whole experience with this church. I really praise God for what happened. Because more deeply embedded in my soul and my heart is a realization the dangers of control and force and authority, beloved. Amen? Dangers. The last thing we'll look at Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. One and two. What did King Hezekiah show to the Babylonian representatives when he came to find out how he was healed? Remember he was healed? The sun went back and it caught attention of Babylon. They sent officers over. And that time Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold, the spices, and the precious ointment, all the house of his armor, and all that were found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So what did they show to Babylon when they came to Israel? All their money, the treasures, right? What did Isaiah say was going to happen because of this? Verse 6, Behold, the days come, Isaiah said, that all that is in your house 
and that which your fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to where? Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. Isaiah knew that the foundational principle of Babylon was greed and money. With that, he knew that he predicted that Babylon was going to come and take all the money, the treasures, the gold, because he revealed it unto them. What is the Babylon of the end times known for? Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. Notice what the Bible says here. Revelation 17, verse 4. The Bible says, And the woman, this woman is false church, was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. You notice that the Vatican uses these colors. And decked with gold. We've been there. St. Peter's. Lots of gold and precious stones and pearls. You see, the principle of the old Babylon and new Babylon is the same. And that principle, beloved, this morning is called a ravenous greed for gold. Now, I want to read you some quotes here. This is actually from their own church members who say this. There's actually Robert, Bishop of Lincoln, in the very presence of Pope Innocent IV. And these are quotes on the inside right of your purple handouts. This is all money, money. How much canst thou effect, especially at the court of Rome? The next quote says, Religion is for them a mine of gold, which they work to the last vein. Trying to get as much money as they can. Duke George of Saxony, in the Reformation at Worms, he said, All sense of shame has been cast off, and one thing only is pursued, money, money. And look at his last quote here from Abbot of Usburg. He said, Rejoice now, O Vatican, all treasures are open to thee. Thou wilt sell God himself for what? For gold. That's the principle, the Babylonian principle of greed. But beloved, this morning, as I like to make this practical, could it also be possible this morning that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians have allowed this Babylonian principle of greed, of gold, to enter also into our churches this morning, beloved. I'm going to read you this quote here, the, the love of money on the bottom right. It says here, The love of money, which is the root of all evil, has had a large place in their hearts. Many whose names are upon the church records have oppressed the poor and grasped every possible advantage over those who are under them, they have lived to gratify appetite, to make extravagant display, and pride is fast making a Sodom of our world. That was back then. Do you not see that this is possible even in God's church even today? Are people only living extravagant? Are people living only a life to please themselves and their life here on this earth? Or does this apply even to ourselves? Are we here on this earth to really to work to supply and to support ourselves here on this earth? Or did God, or is the Bible true when it says that we're really here to work so that we can really work for God's kingdom to advance here on this earth every single day? Amen? The purpose of our job is really to support us in the work of saving souls and advancing the kingdom, beloved. Not for ourselves. The most distressing thing about greed is the same lustful desire for money is also revealed within our churches today through our creative fundraising or by innovative events to get money. I want to read this last quote here. 
on the back page. It says, let us stand clear of all these church corruptions, dissipations, and festivals which have a demoralizing influence upon young and old. We have no right to throw over them the cloak of sanctity because the means are to be used for church purposes. Let's not use worldly things to get money for the church. Such offerings are lame and diseased and bear the curse of God. They are the price of souls. The pulpit may defend festivals, dancing, lotteries, which is gambling, right? Fairs and luxurious feasts or expensive plates, $200 a meal, so you can save money, raise money for God's church. Or fundraisers to make, have fun and to gratify the appetite, right? To raise money for God's church. The pulpit may defend festivals, dancing, lotteries, fairs, and luxurious feasts to obtain means for church purposes, but let us participate in none of these things. For if we do, God's displeasure will be upon us. We do not propose to appeal to the lust of the appetite or resort to carnal amusement as an inducement to Christ's professed followers to give of the means which God has entrusted to them. If they do not give willingly for the love of Christ, the offering will in no case be acceptable to God this morning. Amen? I often think about this. Why is it the only way that we give is we get something out of it? And the only way we give to God is that somehow we get some kind of food out of it or we get some kind of benefit out of it or we get some kind of free gift out of it or a lottery or we win something out of it. Why can't we just give it because a pure, unselfish love of God has touched my heart and your heart this morning, amen? We want to freely give it to God. We want to willingly give it to God. Why is it that we have to create? But I always come to the point, if it's not working though, and there is no love in our hearts, maybe we need to resort to these type of things because maybe that's the only way that we're going to get money for the church today, beloved. And maybe so. So I'm not here to judge or condemn. We live in the hands of a loving God this morning. Amen? But I know this. God wants to give us to give to Him because we want to give to Him, right? There's no force or pressure or manipulation. But because I love God and you love God, He wants you to give to Him because you want to give to Him this morning. Amen? Our God is a loving God this morning. All things are moving quickly toward the supremacy of the ultimate Babylon once again. And beloved, this morning, greed and selfishness are contrary to the loving character of Jesus Christ, right? For as Jesus was sold by his fellow church members for 30 pieces of silver, at that very same time, he also gave up his life unselfishly for us on the cross of Calvary. We don't need this morning the pride of Babylon. What we need is the humility of Jesus Christ. We don't need the force of authority. What we need within our hearts is the love of Calvary this morning. We don't need the greed of money in God's church. What we need within our lives is the unselfishness of the cross. So this morning, why don't you allow the life of Christ to come into your life? Why don't you surrender to the fightings and the callings to his soul? Why don't you submit to the promptings of his Holy Spirit? For if you do, beloved, you will become humble, unselfish, and loving, just like your master, Jesus Christ, this morning. Beloved, this morning, God's church needs to rise up this morning, beloved. Amen? Amen. We need to rise up and be examples, not to those out there in the world, but we come to the point in history, in 2009, that God's people need to rise up within their very own church this morning, beloved. Amen? Amen. The enemies is around us, right next to us. It couldn't be before it used to be outside, but beloved, Babylon principles have entered into God's church. 
and we need to rise up, O church of God, and stand for what God has called us to do. And that's why our closing hymn is hymn number 615. Rise up, O church of God, this morning.